Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. How many of you had heard that story before? Anybody? Handful. Isn't that an incredible story? My family heard it told a couple weeks ago at uh, their school um, by an Indian family who's now following Jesus and invested in ministry and international ministry uh, among Clemson students. And uh, when they shared that story with me, um, I think it was Miles who shared it with me. Uh, it was just a powerful story. And I said, we got to we got to do something. we got to use this. So, what a powerful story. This morning, we're going to look at this idea of the three-part mission of Jesus. And so, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 49. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a hardback black one in the pew rack in front of you. Use that, please. I always want people to open up their Bibles. Um, we are thankful to have screens, amen somebody, but we don't want to be dependent on those screens. And so we're going to ask you to open yours because there's just nothing like holding God's word in your hand and seeing God's word uh, from that perspective. All right, so Jesus's three-part mission out of Luke chapter 12, verse 49 now, as uh, something that we, we tend to do, uh, I would uh, love for you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to read 49 to 59. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Do you think I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. We're not really surprised by that one, are we? Verse 54 continues on. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower's coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? 57, And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? 
as you go with your accuser before the magistrate. Make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand him over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Wowzer. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Be seated. Okay, so Jesus' three-part mission, all right? Uh, Last weekend was a completely different kind of sermon. If you were here, you noticed that. I preached about how Christians should prepare for the election, and that was fun. Um, And uh, and Wednesday night, Pastor Joe was with me, and we talked about... um, Whose side is God on? And if you missed either one of those things and you want to have your feathers ruffled, go watch them on our Facebook or listen to them online. But it was just good and hopefully it'll challenge our thinking a little bit. But we are, we are thankful that you're here today. Um, for the, the last two years, we've been walking slowly through the book of Luke. And so we're in Luke chapter 12 today and we find ourselves here and I just find it, I think it's so timely for us, Okay. So I want you to see this, Jesus' three-part mission. Uh, oftentimes we'll, we'll hear of what others say about Jesus' mission was, but Jesus today says, here's what I've come to do. Three things at least, and these three things often don't get talked about. I love preaching through books of the Bible because it forces me to talk about things I would rarely talk about. It forces me to address passages in the Scripture that I, I wouldn't address. I would probably never just fall upon this scripture and choose it as one to preach through, but it's God's word, right? And it's helpful for us. And that means God has a purpose for us in today's message. So threefold purpose or three-part purpose. The first purpose that I want you to see is right here in verse 49. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. Would that it were already kindled. Now uh, this is interesting. Fire in the Bible is symbolic of a few things. Number one is symbolic of God's presence. God uh, was present in Exodus chapter 3 in a burning bush, right? Fire. Fire, um, a pillar of fire led the Israelites through the wilderness wanderings for 40 years. Fire is symbolic of God's presence. Fire is also symbolic of God's holiness. And fire is symbolic in the Bible of God's judgment, of God's judgment. And in this passage, um, I believe with all of my heart that it's the judgment that Jesus has in mind here when he says, I came to kindle fire. I came to cast a fire on the earth and oh, that it were already kindled. I, how, why do I believe that? Well, in Matthew chapter 3, if you want to hold your spot real fast, Matthew chapter 3 um, in verse 11 says this phrase. It says, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John the Baptist speaking. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So he's not speaking of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of something different. He's speaking of something different. And I I believe that is judgment. So I came to cast fire. So in the Bible, let's think about it like this. In the Bible, fire was meant or used to purify. It was used to purify. It was used to burn away the chaff from the wheat, to separate. It was meant to heat the gold until the dross came up to the top, 
and the gold could be left more pure than before. Fire was used in the Bible um, as to burn away what was pruned from the unproductive vine. And so what we see is a division happening. The fire is used to judge what is righteous and good with what is unrighteous and wicked. Are you with me, church family? Amen? So there is this idea of division. Of division. What was left over after the fire dealt with it was pure and useful and productive. And so the fire of God's judgment is for that. He says, would that it were already kindled. Would that it were already kindled. See, this is an interesting passage. Why is it, he says, I came to cast fire and would that it were already kindled. Here's what I think, I, I, I believe, I've done a lot of studying on this one phrase and uh, most commentators agree with this idea that Jesus is mentioning that there is a, a blessing and a curse at His coming. There's a blessing and, his, and a curse at His coming. Um, it is a reward for the righteous and a judgment for the unrighteous. Good news for those who love Jesus and really bad news for those who reject Him. In Luke chapter 2, verse 34, this is what Simeon, a man who was in the temple when uh, Jesus came into the temple as a baby, yeah, Simeon saw them, he came and he grabbed Jesus from Mary's arms and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Even Simeon knew that this young baby, this baby who was God in the flesh, he is Messiah, he came and it would be the fall of some and the rising of others. Have you ever noticed how fire can be soothing and terrifying? I, we just went camping a couple days up by uh, Gatlinburg, and it was cold. It's cold up there in them hills. And so every morning I wake up early, and I, I wake up, it's still dark, I go outside and I kindle a fire. And inside that fire ring, it's beautiful. It's warming and it's soothing. How many of you could just sit around a campfire and just watch it burn? I love it. Love it. It does my heart good. But I, a few weeks ago, I was in Colorado. And there was not a clear day because fire had gotten out of its prescribed nature. And had taken over. See, fire can be soothing. And fire can be terrifying. Fire can bring a great reward, and fire can also bring great destruction. And he says, I came to cast fire upon the earth, and oh, that were already kindled. It's, it's likened to Romans chapter 9, verse 33, which quotes Isaiah 28. It says, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is that same idea, that this stone that God is laying in Zion, whose name is Jesus, who is the Messiah, the one to come, who would bring judgment and salvation. He says, I'm laying him in Zion. And he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, but whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so you see that twofold part 
Jesus will be a rock to everyone. A rock of stumbling or a solid foundation. A rock that will crush you if you reject Jesus or a rock that will protect and become a fortress from our enemies. Jesus is a fire to each one of us and He will either purify you to make you more like Himself and bring you closer into a relationship with God or the fire of God will be judgment for you. And He says, I've come to cast fire. The second thing He says I've come to do is in verse 50. Luke chapter 12 verse 50 says this, I have a baptism to be baptized with. I came to be baptized. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. So, brief lesson. Biblical baptism is a baptism of immersion. And that baptism that Jesus is speaking of is not the baptism of the believer. It's not even the baptism which we would say the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not what somebody would be talking about. Jesus has already been baptized to begin his earthly ministry. So it's not that baptism. It's a different baptism. So what baptism is it? Jesus is likening this baptism to the baptism of Noah. The baptism of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, the world was baptized under God's judgment because of their wickedness. The flood baptized every wicked person as a sign of God's judgment. It's sin. 1 Peter 3 makes that connection also. And so here's what Jesus is saying. I came to bring the fire of God's judgment and I came to be baptized in it. I came to bring God's judgment upon the earth and I came to be baptized under it. That's why he says, how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Can you imagine living for 33 years A life on earth knowing what the last two days before your crucifixion would hold? Can you imagine the weight? Do you now wonder why Jesus often went away to pray? The burden that he carried of the coming judgment upon the earth was heavy. How great is my distress until it's accomplished. That is, it is a difficult message that Jesus has come not just to bring salvation, but also judgment. But here's the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The great news is there is a coming judgment for every human being due to their own personal sin. But God so loved the world that He left heaven And He came to earth to be immersed in His own judgment on our behalf. See, the flood of God's judgment was poured out on Jesus until every last drop was drained dry. The flood of God's judgment overwhelmed the perfect Son of God and it overcame Him so that He died under God's judgment so that humanity, sinful humanity, would not have to suffer the same fate as Jesus did. That's the Gospel. The Gospel says that Jesus came to bear judgment on your behalf and if you trust Him, He will have borne the wrath of God for you. 
The Bible teaches us that Jesus became our sin, was punished for it, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that, church family? So now the ball's in our court. Here's what I need you to understand, and hear me clearly. Hear me clearly. The gospel is not universalism. And here's what I mean by that. Universalism says that since Jesus died on the cross for all, everyone will be saved and forgiven. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus died so that everyone would be saved, or didn't die so that everyone would be saved. He died so that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Jesus accomplished the salvation that would be sufficient for every person that would ever walk on planet earth. His death, burial, and resurrection paid the ultimate penalty for every person who trusts in him. But it takes you and me to trust in what Christ has accomplished for that to be applied to your life and my life. It's not universalism. It's everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every person must respond. And so I, I'm going I'm to poke harder at you guys and us in a minute. But I just need to ask, will you, have you confessed your sin to Jesus? Have you trusted him? Will you admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? Will you trust Jesus as the one who lived perfectly, yet who was baptized in the waters of God's judgment and raised three days later for you and me to be saved? Because the Bible's clear, when you do that, your old life of sin, shame, and guilt will be buried with Jesus and you'll be reborn with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today, I, listen, I, I need you to know, if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior and your Lord, judgment is coming. But Jesus the Savior, the Messiah, has already come. And if you would trust in Him, judgment wouldn't come for you. So surrender to Jesus, my friend. Number three, the th third reason that Jesus says He comes is in verse 51. Do you think that I've come to bring peace on earth? No. No, I tell you, but rather division. That sounds anti-Jesus, doesn't it? We always picture Jesus as this really lovey-dovey, kind man who just welcomes everybody, and, and truly He does. All who come in faith, He welcomes. But it says, I came to bring peace. Not peace, but division. The, uh, the book of Matthew says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. That's a hard passage, isn't it? We don't like preaching verses like that, do we? I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring division. Now that goes, it seems to go, uh, on the opposite of what I said last weekend, is that politics at Seneca Baptist Church is not going to divide God's church, amen? Now here's the difference. Politics won't, but Jesus can Here's what I mean. People will divide over Jesus. I mean, just listen to what he, he has said in the previous verses. I came to bring judgment. I came to cast fire. And oh, that it were already kindled. I came to be baptized with, or baptized 
I came to bring judgment as God. I came to bear judgment as the Messiah. And what people do with that will divide. Jesus goes on to say in verse 52, from now on in one house it will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. Mother and daughter will be divided. Father and son will be divided. Mother-in-law and daughter-in-law will be divided. There will be division in the house over what people do with Jesus. Have you seen that happen before? It's true. It's true. And, and Jesus speaks about that dividing a lot. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to divide. He speaks about that dividing a lot. He tells a parable about the wheat and the tares. Remember that? The, the, a man sows seed, good seed in, a, in his field. And an enemy comes along at night and he sows bad seed in the field. And the, those who are out in the field, the, working, the workers say, hey, Master, we, we've got good seed and bad seed. Do you want us to come and, and dig up the bad stuff and leave the good stuff? And he says, no, let them both grow side by side until the end. And then we'll separate the good from the bad. Do you remember that? Are you with me, church family? He says it again in Matthew 25. He talks about the sheep and the goats. He puts the, the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And he divides them. And he says to the sheep, hey, come enter into everlasting joy, you good and faithful servant. And they say, well, what have we done? And he says, well, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was sick, you came and visited me. All these different things. And they say, well, when did we see you like that? And he says, you do it for the least of these. You do it for me. And to the sheep on, or the goats on his left, he says, depart from me into eternal judgment. Because when I was sick, you didn't come visit. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit. When did we see you there? If you didn't do it for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. There's going to be a dividing. Pastor Joe spoke a couple weeks ago uh, about the prepared servants and the unprepared servants and how there will be a division. The unprepared servants will be left out. The prepared servants who are waiting on their master to return will be invited in. There's the fruitful vine and the fruitless vine. John chapter 15 is all about that idea. And he says what's not productive will be cut off and thrown into the fire. So that what is productive will bear more fruit. There's a separation. And maybe the most challenging and famous one is in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 to 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Do you see the separation, the divide, the division? Church family, either this is heavy or I've lost you. I need your help. Do you see the division? Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord. That should be a warning to you and me. He's saying just because you associate yourself with Jesus doesn't mean that you're in. Just because you do good things for Jesus doesn't mean that you're in the kingdom. It's, it's not about doing good things for the kingdom. It's not about serving Jesus. What it is about is being known by Jesus and knowing Him fully. 
See, I see division in three categories as we just talk about those things. And these are where this gets really practical. There's the division of those who receive Jesus as Messiah and, and those who reject Him. Can we see that in our world? Doesn't it seem like there's a growing division? Like the space between, in the United States of America, the space between those who call themselves Christians and those who don't, there's a dividing gap or a, a widening gap. Can you see that, church family? That's, that's probably the most explicit out in the open. But I, I, I see that gap widening in the days ahead. Yeah, I, I came to cast fire. I came to be baptized. I came to bring division. I see that, that gap widening. And I listen, church family, I think that's a good gap. It's going to be a hard gap, but I think that's a good gap. Why? Because the light shines brightest in the what? In the dark. For far too long, Christianity and culture have been married. And when they unwed themselves, and it's darn time for Christianity and culture to divorce. And when they divorce, light will shine brighter. And God's plan for this world is that the church might shine the light of Christ so brightly that the world would see our good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. So there's the division of those who receive Jesus and those who reject Jesus. There's the division of nominal Christians and the true Christian. Hear me. Nominal, that word means in name only. And I just need you to understand that there are people inside the four walls of a building called, we call church, who are Christian in name or title only, but not Christian in truth and in relationship. They're Christians because they grew up in church. I've been going to church ever since I was negative nine months old, right? I grew up in the church building. I've heard people say I was on the bedrolls of that church. Anybody with me on that? I need you to understand that just because you might be the, um, one of the first members of a church doesn't mean that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I need us to understand that just because our, our names are written on a church's roll does not mean that Jesus has called us one of His own. And that's hard. It's hard to hear. And because we live in this place called the Bible Belt, we have seen our culture around us line up with Christianity for so long that if you wanted to, if you moved to an area, where did you go to meet people? Church. And if you wanted to open a business in a new area, where did you go? Church. Specifically, First Baptist Church. You went to church. And if you wanted to run for office, you better hug every neck and kiss every baby at church. That's, I love what David Shirley, our director of missions, says. He says, the Bible belt is unbuckling. I might say it differently. 
we done lost our pants. <laughs> the, the Bible Belt has been undone. We don't live in the Bible Belt anymore. This southern culture and Christianity at one point in time lined up very closely, but no longer do. And there will be a gap, I believe, in the days ahead that of, of what you see as nominal Christianity in name only and the one who truly has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it will happen because maybe of two reasons. Number one, I believe sooner or later there will be difficulty that accompanies following Jesus. I didn't say the word persecution because there are people among us who live um, in or, or from places that are highly persecuted. We have not experienced persecution in the United States of America. We've experienced slight difficulty. But when persecution comes, and following Jesus is not as simple as being a southerner, you will see the nominal Christian begin to either come in and become a true follower of Christ or fall away from the church. My fear is that there are people who are on our church's role that will not come into the fold, but rather fall away. I've, I've heard uh, a lot of research coming from our, our um, Southern Baptist Convention that says the church after COVID will not be the same church that went into COVID. And there will be many people on the roll before COVID who will never grace the doors of a church again. And I believe that COVID-19 will be a dividing. And we might not have as many people at Seneca Baptist, but if those who are in our fold are true followers of Jesus, I would rather have a smaller number that has a relationship with Jesus than a large number who are in name only. There is a divide of those who receive Jesus and reject Him. Nominal Christians and true Christians. And there will be a division over God's Word. There will be a division over God's Word. There already is a division over God's Word. And what we believe at Seneca Baptist Church is that God's Word is inerrant. It is eternal. It is timeless. The truths are still timely. God's word was written 2,000 years ago. Some much more. It was written over a period of 1,500 years. By some 40 different authors on three continents and three languages. And we believe and hold to the truth that all of it points to one man and his name is Jesus Christ. And we believe that wherever you open God's word, you open it and there is something that theologians call the scarlet line of redemption that runs from Genesis to Revelation that all bleeds the blood of Christ. One, I think it was Jonathan Edwards, he said, if you cut the Bible anywhere, it'll bleed the blood of Christ. We believe that it is true. Culture right now is saying, well, by, the Bible needs to be updated. And we say, no, the culture needs to come in line with the Bible. The Bible does not need to come in line with the culture. Churches 
churches are leaving the authority of God's Word because they say if we follow God's Word, we won't fit in with the culture that we live in. It will seem unloving, but I need you guys to understand that the most unloving thing we can do for our culture is to leave the authority of God's Word. The most unloving thing that we can do is to leave the central truth of the Bible that says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And all of us are sinners who need to be reconciled to a holy God. If we leave that truth, we might make them feel better for a time, but what we're essentially doing is we're damning them to an eternity separated from Christ. There will be a division over God's Word. And that's a good division. We might look at these things and say, this is so hard. I don't want any of those things to happen to us. And I want to tell you that they're necessary. I love the way that the Bible reveals what the church is going to look like at the end times. You know what it's called? It's not called a, a brazen prostitute. It's called a radiant bride. And the only way that we can be a radiant bride to our groom, Jesus, is for the Father to purify us. He said, I come to cast fire. I come to be baptized. I came to bring judgment and to bear that judgment. And if you'll trust in me, I'll save you from your sin. I want to finish up very quickly. He says... The, the, the next thing I want you to understand is that, that time of division and that, I believe, will become more intense. Look at what it says in verse 54. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower's coming. And so it happens. When you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat. And it happens. How many of you notice the, the winds changing around Seneca the past few weeks? It's cool. And we like cool in Seneca because we don't get cool very often. In Louisiana, where we lived a few years ago, there were two seasons, hot and cool. Hot lasted for nine and a half months. Cool lasted a lot shorter. He says, you can look around. You can see the leaves changing. You can see the winds blowing. And you know what's coming. But how is it that you look around in the times, these days, and you can't see can you look around in our, our world that we're living in and can you understand that the times they are a-changing? Now, I'm not convinced that we're living in the last days. I'm also not, not convinced that we're living in the last days. But I just know that we're one step closer than we were yesterday. And I know one day that we celebrate the Lord's Supper next weekend. We will celebrate the Lord's Supper next weekend. And we remember Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and His return. And we believe with all of our hearts that Jesus is coming for a pure bride. So be aware of the signs of the times. And if that means that you need to make a change in your life, for God's sake, make that change. Because times are shorter than they were. The time of division will become more intense because the day of God's judgment is drawing closer. So, verse 57, it says, Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? 
as you go with your accuser before the magistrate to make an effort to settle with him on the way. So just imagine you've got somebody who's he's trying to take you to court over something. And what, he's, what Jesus is saying, if, if you've got somebody who's got a complaint against you and you know you're about to be taken in front of the judge, why don't you try to settle with them along the way so you don't have to stand before the judge? Because what he says is, if you don't settle with your accuser on the way, you're going to stand before the judge and the officer will put you in prison and he says, I'll tell you, you won't get out until you've paid the very last penny. Jesus is not talking about physical things. He's not talking about civil disputes. He's talking about a spiritual dispute. A spiritual debt that must be settled for every single person. And he's saying that there is a debt with your name on it. And if that debt is not settled with the judge, then you need to get right. Because can't you see the times are changing? Can't you see the season is new? Can't you feel? And aren't you praying, Jesus, just come back. It's time to settle accounts with the judge. How do I do that, Ryan? I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from God. And I know that my debt is above my head and my account is bankrupt. I know that I got not a single dime to my name to pay to God. And and even if I had all the money in the world, all the money in the world would not pay for what I've done. What do I do? Listen to God's Word in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, And you who were dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This is what God did for you in Jesus. Your debt was outstanding and over your head. But God sent Jesus to take your debt upon Himself so that your debt might be forgiven and Jesus might bear your debt. And how did He forgive that debt? It says, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. That cross is not a sign of peace. That cross is not a sign of uh, humanity can be good. That that cross is a sign that sin is costly and the price has been paid. Every person within the hearing of my, my voice on Facebook and live right now, you have a decision to make and the decision is simple. Have you trusted in Jesus as the all sufficient Savior? Have you settled accounts with the judge who is coming to cast fire upon the earth? And if not, surrender to Jesus, my friend. Give him your debt. What are you waiting on? And I know right now you can hear him calling. Some of you, you're you're hearing Jesus bid you, come to me, all you labor. Or weary and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I know that there are some of you who can hear him calling. The judge is coming. 
must be on the right side of the judge before he comes. That's our first application. The second thing is some of us, we need to decide what side of the fence we're on. We can't be fence riders in the kingdom of God or pew sitters in the kingdom of God. It's time for you to choose Christ or choose the world. You can't have both ways. If you choose Christ, that's what we want. Please choose Christ. But you can't have your cake and eat it too. This is not in the scripture. But if God has reconciled you to Christ, it's time for you to be a part of God reconciling others to Christ. We got to go tell him. So you've got a decision today. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. It is a heavy word, but every word of it is true. Father, I pray that you would use it this morning in the hearts and minds and lives of people right here. I pray, Father, that you would cause people to come to Jesus this morning. Cause people to trust Christ and to repent of sin. Father, um, there are people in here who have been on a church roll forever, but their names aren't written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and I pray that you would bring them across from death to life today. Father, we need you to do a work that we can't do. We need you to, to speak in a way that we, we can't accomplish. In Jesus' name, everybody said, we're going to sing a song.